This weekend, Germans celebrated the 30-year anniversary of the fall of the Berlin Wall. The wall divided the German capital between a thriving, free capitalist West Berlin and an East Berlin so mired in poverty, lack of services, and government, government oppression that it was almost as bad as living in California. The wall was built in 1961 when the Soviet socialists who ruled East Germany realized that if they taxed people at the levels proposed by Elizabeth Warren, those people would leave and take their wealth and productivity elsewhere. But the socialists had a plan for that. Namely, anyone who tried to leave would be shot dead. This policy continued through 1988 when Bernie Sanders honeymooned among the Soviets. So as Berliners celebrate the fall of the wall, perhaps they should also remember the good times. Like when Bernie sat bare-chested with their Soviet oppressors and sang, This land is your land, and so is Poland, and so is Czechoslovakia, and so is Hungary, and East Germany, and, well, you know the rest of the lyrics. On a side note, Bernie returned from his visit to the Soviets instead of the USSR and the U.S., quote, and this is a real quote, let's take the strengths of both systems, let's learn from each other, unquote, which would have made for an interesting country, seeing as the strengths of the U.S. are freedom and capitalism, and the strengths of the Soviet Union were socialism and its necessary results, poverty, oppression, slavery, and mass murder. The Berlin Wall finally collapsed when the Soviets were confronted by Ronald Reagan, a freedom-loving president the American press hated so much they attacked him relentlessly and even tried to organize his impeachment. Thank heavens nothing like that could happen today. In fact, as we celebrate the fall of the Berlin Wall, it's nice to know that we've learned so much about the evils of socialism, it has been relegated to the dustbin of history and the Democrat Party platform. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. Life is tickety-boo. Birds are ringing, also singing. Hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy. The world is a bitty-zing. It's a wonderful day. Hurrah, hooray! It makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. Oh, hooray, hurrah. All right, happy Veterans Day. We're going to talk about Veterans Day. But first, uh, the week is is. The news this week is likely to be dominated by the impeachment hearings, which I think begin on Wednesday. And as you know, I consider this whole thing a sham. I consider the impeachment attempt a, a Democrat uh, method of distracting people from the truly wicked and illegal political spying of the Obama administration. It's an attempt to de delegitimize the Justice Department that's investigating those actions. It's an attempt to distract from Joe Biden's apparent corruption in Ukraine, which should certainly have been investigated, as Donald Trump proposed. And it's a piece of party campaign politics being paid for by your dime. Because... People may be beginning to realize that the Democrat presidential lineup is basically a collection of chumps and losers, and they don't trust them to win in the election. Other than that, the whole impeachment thing is government at its best. So because I expect I'm going to be wasting my rapidly dwindling supply of breath criticizing this despicable charade and enthusiastically defending a president who increasingly seems to me to be the last man in Washington who actually believes in the American system at all, I wanted to put this opening portion of the show to somewhat better use. So this week, I'm going to take a look at four important ways in which leftism makes absolutely no sense and is therefore reducing its followers to the twisted, dishonest, ugly level of American journalists. Maybe not that bad, but close. Today, I want to look at the concept of progress. Democrats now call themselves progressive because all their previous labels, liberal, socialist, leftist, have been besmirched by the fact that the policies associated with those levels, labels turned out to be destructive and enslaving. Since Democrats are good at absolutely nothing besides making words not mean what they mean, they haven't changed the policies, 
they've changed the name. But calling Democrats progressive suggests that history progresses in the direction of worse to better, and that the party that has turned the paradise of California into a third world country is the party that knows which direction that is. The problem is, if history does progress, then the past must contain the vehicle of that progress. That is, there must have been something in the past that moved us from there to here. After all, you can't take the stairway to paradise without the stairway. This means that something about America in the past must have been very, very good if it could have created today's progress. And the notion that America is built on utterly racist, sexist, and otherwise bigoted principles can't be true. After all, if it were true, how could we have progressed at all? If everything in America is based on black slavery, the way they tell us in the New York Times, who was it who freed the black slaves and why? Spoiler alert, it was white people who fought to set them free, and they did it because of their Christian values. If American ideas silenced women, how come women keep talking and talking? It was men who granted women those rights because that was in keeping with the ideas behind the American Constitution. And if gays have now gone from being the outlawed but witty and fabulous people they used to be to the free and irritating fascists they are today, who was it who set them free? And again, why? It was the majority straight folks. And they did it because they knew it was right because of their American sense of fairness. The fact is, if things have gotten better, richer, and freer in this country, if things have indeed progressed, it must be because the institutions and traditions on which this country was built contained within them the instruments of their own betterment and ours, and that therefore further progress would be, should be brought about by preserving those institutions and traditions, not betraying them into the hands of a group of people like the left who think our glorious past is nothing but shameful and destructive. To say this country is utterly hateful in its founding but has somehow magically progressed is a nonsense, and to turn this country over to people who believe that nonsense and hate the country would be an even greater nonsense. Maybe the former liberals, leftists, and socialists who now call themselves progressives should change their name once again to knuckleheads. <laughs> just, just a suggestion. Just a suggestion. Here's a suggestion for a wonderful gift you might want to give somebody from Paint Your Life. They will take a photograph of you, of, of your pet, of your family, whoever you want, and they will turn it into a painting, as they did for me. I'm holding it up right now. Now, they can't make you as beautiful as this. They're not magicians. They're only painters, but they will give you a beautiful handmade painting. This is not something they do with a machine. Somebody actually paints this, and it, can make, it makes a perfect holiday gift, also great for birthdays, anniversaries, and weddings. You choose the artist you like. You look at her work or his work. Uh, the one you admire is the one you choose. Uh, and throughout the press process, you get to consult until every detail is just the way you want it. And there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded. Uh, it's great for decor. It's a work of art. I plan to hang it up here because if I left it at home, I was afraid my wife would use it for target practice. <laughs> <laughs> just a joke, just a joke, honey. But anyway, it really is nice. It's a nice thing, especially, you know, especially for your family or your kids, something that you can really keep uh, a keepsake. And right now is a limited time offer. You can get 30% off your painting. That's right. 30% off and free shipping to get this special offer. Text Andrew to 64,000. That's Andrew to 64,000. Text A-N-D-R-E-W to 64,000. I like the way they spelled out my name, so you don't have to figure out how to play it. <laughs> Not that one. Not that name, the other name. <laughs> also, 
while we're talking. Another Kingdom is out for everyone today. I think this is episode seven or eight. I'm so confused because I'm preparing them ahead of time and getting them done. But it's exciting stuff. People are just, they are just loving this. It has incredible numbers. I think you will love it too. Please turn it on and you can get this one is for everybody. Friday subscribers get it. Uh, Mondays, all the rest of you people who can't spare even a nickel to support this operation will still be given a free listen. Let's talk about Veterans Day, uh, which used to be Armistice Day uh, until the 50s. And it's still in uh, Britain, where I lived in Britain for many years. And in Britain, they wear those little poppies, which is uh, part of a poem that was written about the poppy fields uh, that the poppies that grew up uh, fertilized by the bodies of the dead, really. And so it became a symbol of uh, I believe that's how it became a symbol of World War One. It was originally to mark November 11th. Uh, the 11th day of the 11th month at 11 a.m. when the guns stopped firing and the truce came on. And in Britain uh, and in Europe, we don't really realize what that war was. It was kind of like our civil war. There's not a town in Europe that wasn't affected by it. An entire, really an entire generation of men was wiped out. I contend that it was the beginning of a long world war that included World War II that ended Europe, that ended the great civilization of Europe. And Europe has essentially been an American client state ever since then and has no longer produces the kind of art, uh, science and thought that it did when it was the leader of the world. It was one of the greatest culture. I think it was probably the greatest culture uh, that ever existed on earth. And World War I brought that to an end. So here uh, in the 50s, we uh, we changed it to Veterans Day to celebrate all veterans, which is a wonderful thing. But I, I was looking it up and I found this incredible tape, which is the tape of the the sound on the front, on the American front in World War One, as the guns stopped at 11-11, at 11 o'clock on 11-11. And you have to imagine that these guys have been out there for years. They've been stuck in these trenches. They're covered in rats. They're covered in sores. The, their feet are always wet. They're always in danger of uh, their head being blown off if they pop their head over the side. And every now and again, they're sent into these useless, useless charges. And these guns have been going forever and ever and ever. This is where the idea of shell shock came from, people coming back from this horrible, these horrible conditions, basically broken and insane. And one of the things they frequently talked about was the relentless shelling, shelling year after year, day after day, minute after minute, year after year. It never stopped. There's dangerous shells. And sometimes those shells would hit and kill the guy next to you if it didn't uh, uh, eradicate you. Here's the moment, uh, the actual moment on 11-11, a hundred years ago. It's exactly a hundred years ago when the firing stopped. In 1919, the people of this city filled block after block to welcome home General Pershing and his 25,000 American soldiers after victory in World War I. Just a few years before, many of those soldiers had boarded ships not far from here at Hoboken Port. More than 4 million Americans fought in the Great War, and more than 116,000 made the ultimate sacrifice. 
at the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month in 1918, the armistice was declared. The war had come to an end, and the Allies achieved a great, great victory. Every year since, on November 11th, we have shared our nation's deepest praise and gratitude to every citizen who has worn the uniform of the American Army, Navy, Air Force, Coast Guard, and Marines. And that, uh, of course, is your president making his Veterans Day speech and remembering that 100 years ago. And, I, you know, I, I sometimes think that this um, this holiday should be renamed to something like Thanksgiving, unless somebody else is using that, uh, because it really is a, a moment of remembering that everything we do is is dependent upon the people who keep us safe. The military, certainly in the world, uh, our police at home, ICE agents who do defend us uh, at the border, uh, the border guards who defend us at the border. All these things that we do uh, are, are, are dependent upon the peace that they keep. And so when you sing your child a lullaby, when you go to the opera, when you read a book, when you, you're making love to your, your spouse, when you're uh, doing all the things going to work, those things happen because these guys are, in a way, behind the scenes where you d don't see them and you don't have to experience them. And here's the thing, you know, People, because I have had, because I've been a big mouth about how much uh, I love my wife and how wonderful our marriage has been, sometimes people ask me, what is the secret of a happy marriage? And I used to say to them, be polite, you know, be, treat, treat your spouse at least as well as you treat a waitress in a, a diner or, you know, the guy who takes your ticket at the movie theater, because sometimes people talk to the people they love best in the worst possible way. But over time, I realized that that was an incomplete answer. That wasn't really what I was talking about. What I was talking about was gratitude. Uh, gratitude for all the things that your spouse does for you that become background noise. You Are know? you kidding me, bro? <laughs> exactly. There you go. That, that you know, the, the idea that, that, you know, your wife does things that maybe you don't notice, maybe the way uh, she keeps the house, maybe the way in, in my marriage, the way she, you know, feeds me and takes care of me and makes sure I don't wander off, which I would. I would be wandering down the middle of Sunset Boulevard with no idea where I was if my wife didn't take care of me. Uh, and, and, you know, and that she returns that that thanks for the little things like the fact that the lights go on because the bills are paid and that we have a when it rains, the rain doesn't touch us because we have a roof over our head and the things that I do uh, that become invisible. And, and the whole thing about gratitude is that gratitude is more for you than it is for the person. You always think of that, oh, you should be thankful so that people feel that they're appreciated, but you should be thankful so that you can see how you live. Gratitude makes the invisible visible. Gratitude lets you see the things on which your lives depend. And that's why the Psalms in the Bible are so full of thanking God for the things that you don't think about, like the fact that the corn grows. You know, that's kind of nice. You know, th thanks, God. You know, it just didn't have to be that way. You know, it could be there are such things as droughts. There are such things, especially if you live in California, where they mismanage the water. Uh, you know, there are all these things that happen. And one of these things that we forget that we forget is the fact that we are always, always being defended by people making sacrifices, risking their lives, and and out there. And it, 
it's a good thing for you for one day to remember that, to remember that everything you have is dependent on that. So when you're especially, this is especially true on these universities where these loudmouths shout about how oppressed they are, these people who've never done anything for anybody, uh, who they haven't had time. They haven't had time to learn anything. They haven't had time to do anything. They haven't created anything. They haven't built anything. They haven't contributed anything. And yet they're screaming about how oppressed they are. They're already in the top, I don't know, at least third of the people that they're getting a college education. They don't remember. They don't think because they don't have gratitude. They haven't been taught gratitude. They haven't been taught to be thankful every day for the things that they have. And so they think about the, the this kind of leftist uh, idea of the world that they have where they're oppressed. There's an article uh, in the Wall Street Journal today by a guy named Rob Henderson, who's an Air Force uh, veteran and has now gone on to uh, get an education. He went to Yale and now he's at Cambridge getting his uh, uh, PhD. And he says that a fellow military veteran asked me a couple of years ago, this is Rob Henderson talking. He says, don't you ever feel like a sucker for serving? Henderson was now a senior at Yale. And he says, like me, this guy who asked me this question had recently completed his service and was studying at a top university. He said he was mystified, observing that the predominantly working and middle class people in the military swear an oath to defend with their lives the U.S. Constitution, including the First and Second Amendments. Meanwhile, affluent college students regularly trash the First and seek to dismantle the Second Amendments. Are veterans being duped? He questioned into believing they are upholding American values while the richest kids in the world, the ones being groomed for success and power, try to undermine them. You could understand why they would feel this way. And the, Henderson goes on to say he is not the only one who feels that way. Many veterans I know who enter college are bewildered by what they see. Students from the top income decile expressing derision for the values that service members signed up to defend. Perhaps they could be forgiven for feeling like suckers. This article ends, this Veterans Day, we can reflect on the sacrifices made by those who volunteered to defend the United States. But let's also find time to consider that these sacrifices were undertaken to defend values that our ruling class in waiting seeks to undermine. Many students at elite colleges are duping themselves. They don't realize that they are protected by the very principles they despise and the people to whom they condescend. And of course, you know, this is the thing. All these students want to make the world a better place, but you can't make the world a better place if you don't understand the world, if you don't see it realistically. And without gratitude, you are not seeing the world as it is. Without gratitude, you're just a spoiled brat because all the things that you have were given to you. Every single one of them was handed down to you, bathed in blood. Every right you have, every dollar you spend, every, uh, you know, happy day that you spend in America is a gift that was given to you by people who fought for it and fought to defend it. And so your gratitude is for you. Your gratitude, you know, it's not for them. Most soldiers, I I think, feel uncomfortable when they're thanked. I've noticed this because I've thanked them. You know, they get it. Yeah, thank you for your service. Thanks very much. Whatever. Let me go my way. Uh, You know, most of them feel that way. It's for you. The gratitude gives you a realistic sense of life. Let me pause here for a, for a moment to talk about Lightstream. You know, the holidays are coming up and you know how that goes. You sit at your computer. Nowadays, you don't even have to go to the mall. You just sit at your computer and you type in your credit card number and all these wonderful things show up at your house. Every day is Christmas. It is absolutely terrific. And then at the end of the month, you suddenly realize, oh my goodness, the bill comes due. And if you don't pay that bill on time, you can get an interest rate of over 
20% APR. I mean, that is an amazing, amazing punitive interest rate. You can change all that with a loan from Lightstream. With Lightstream, you can get a rate as low as 5.95% APR with auto pay, plus your rate is fixed. So as rates continue to rise, your low rate won't budge. There are no fees, and you can even get your money as soon as the day you apply. Lightstream believes that people with good credit, you got to have good credit, but they deserve a better loan experience, and that's exactly what they deliver. Just for my listeners, apply now to get a special interest rate discount. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash Andrew, L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M.com slash Andrew. This is subject to credit approval. Rate includes 0.50% auto pay discount terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash Andrew for more information. So, you know, you talk about free speech. I, I really do have to talk about this for just a minute. I told you last week about this kind of riot uh, that started. People who were out, and I didn't even get to see it. I mean, people were just t- uh, telling me how bad it was, and I had to rush out the other way. But, you know, this thing about free speech is becoming more and more unpopular among students. And, you, you know, there's a culture of of keep your head down. Don't say anything. Don't talk about anything because that'll uh, um, cost you your grades. But free speech, if there are guys out in the field with rifles defending free speech, you have to defend defend free speech. You know, I've often said this, you know, I've often said to people who uh, have commiserated with me on the fact that it became very difficult for me to work in Hollywood once I started speaking out loud, I, I would say to them, there are people getting shot at, killed, you know, losing limbs to defend our rights. Like losing a Hollywood job is like nothing. It's nothing. Seriously, I never lost a minute's sleep over it because of that. You know, and because people are standing up for free speech, you've got to exercise that free speech. That doesn't mean shouting people down. It doesn't mean throwing your fist in the air and making sure other opinions can't be heard. It means politely standing your ground when people tell you what you're supposed to believe and what you must think when you think that's incorrect. And, you know, it costs you. It will cost you. It has cost me. It has cost everyone who does it. It will cost you. And you don't have to fight every battle. You don't have to fight all the time. But to have integrity and to stand up for the free speech is what you owe to the people who passed it on. And now you've got an actual movement from the New York Times, a former newspaper, to the universities, to television, where they're basically telling you that free speech is killing us. And the reason they're telling you this is they don't like anything that makes them lose. And they lose whenever we have an open argument. There was a meeting uh, over at the end of October at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro to discuss free speech. And all the scholars were there discussing how free speech uh, was a bad thing. And this is all keyed into race. So there's all this racist nonsense the left uh, sells. Uh, keynote speaker Eric King Watts, an associate pre- professor at UNC Chapel Hill, opened the event with a speech entitled Tribalism, Voicelessness, and the Problem of free speech. And he says there's very little good news. He outlined problems that stem from free speech and began by addressing the historical context of free speech as an idea within a culture. This goes back to what I was saying about progress, right? He says, freedom of speech is conceptualized and found in documents as a universal human capacity and right requiring legislative and judicial protections. But this late 18th century idealism obscures the manner in which freedom of speech is always already implicated in racism, right? It's all racism. The very idea of freedom postulated in universalist terms in the 19th century and serving as the ontological structure for the First Amendment doesn't allow the black 
The exclusion is not legal nor, nor paralegal. It is brokered by the psychic structure and pseudoscience responding to the biopower imperatives of racism. Now, if you think this is nonsense and the words themselves are inarticulate and don't make sense, it's meant to be. It's meant not to make sense because if it made sense, you would say, wait a minute, wait a minute. If free speech was essentially racist, how come you talking? How come you're talking to me? You know, you're talking to me because those universalist ideas of free speech eventually overcame the natural racism of humankind, the natural tribalism, I should say, of humankind. Those ideas triumphed over the tribalism of humankind so that you can now complain about the tribalism of humankind as if it were specific to America when, of course, it is universal as well. And so this is the thing that is, is none of their, none of their, uh, their talk makes sense. And part of this is because racism is an insanity. Racism, the minute you start categorizing people according to race, you start getting stupid. The only time you can categorize, there, there are things you can say about people's races, but the minute you start doing it morally, starting make, making moral points about people's race, you start to go insane. Just to give you a, a wonderful example of insanity, Naomi Klein, she is in Iowa I guess, supporting the candidates uh, and supporting Bernie, Bernie Sanders. And AOC is there with her. And she makes a speech telling us that climate change is essentially a racist development. It all fits together. Listen to this. The fires that force millions to flee their arid lands, the fires that intensify armed conflicts, which also fuels migration, displacement, which is then used as fuel for those fires of hate. We are in a cycle now. Do you see this? It fuels the arguments for further militarizing borders and incarcerating migrants and tearing children from their parents. And it's even more frightening than that because we are now seeing fascist and neo-fascist political figures in Europe, but it's seeping into North America as well, drop the charade of climate change denial and instead cast the global ecological crisis as some kind of divine corrective, a way of cleansing the world of lesser humans. We cannot win this fight without battling white supremacy. As she was making that speech in which she basically claimed that the climate is now racist. The climate is now a problem of whiteness. And then AOC had this to add. So here's the deal. I, you know, and, and what it also, and, and so the deal is, sorry, and here's the deal. The deal, I'm like, I've got so much going on in my mind because I'm, I'm just talking to you all this evening. I am told this is a garbage disposal. I've never seen a garbage disposal. I never had one in any place I've ever lived. It is terrifying. I don't know what to use it for or what its purpose is. <laughs> so I guess she has got a lot going on in her mind. Too much for her to think uh, think that through. Unbelievable, unbelievable stuff. She, I've got a lot going on in my mind. If there were ever a lie that AOC told, I've got a lot going on in my mind, was it. Uh, you know, so all these things that we were given, these free speech, all of this, this stuff we were given, you got to look at the Democrats and think, what are you doing with this gift? And this brings me finally to what I have to talk about this week. I'm going to be talking about is this impeachment thing, which I just think is 
true. It's it's absurd. I don't even know how to talk about it and, and take it seriously. Uh, you know, like like even as a, some kind of massive coup attempt. I don't even think it's that. I don't even think it is that serious a, a coup attempt. I think it is this just this campaign uh, technique that they're getting us to pay for to divert us from the fact that the Democrats, while they were in power for eight years under Obama, misused the po- organs of power to attack their political enemies. And now they're trying to stick that on Trump. So now they're releasing the transcripts of their secret meetings, but they're doing it in such a way that they think it's going to really, really uh, bend our minds toward impeachment. So they're releasing all these transcripts. And the problem is the transcripts are embarrassing. I mean, it's Adam Schiff telling the Republicans they can't ask the questions that they want to ask. He's basically banned any questions about Hunter Biden. So you can't tell if what Trump was trying to investigate was real. I mean, it obviously was real. Obviously, Hunter Biden should not have had that uh, job at Burisma. And we don't know yet whether Joe Biden made decisions based on that that were helping him out. We don't know, but it was worth investigating. Certainly, uh, they this guy, um, they won't allow any witnesses, uh, you know, the the Republicans are asking for witnesses who will who testify about Hunter Biden and the Biden family. Nope, they're not going to allow that. This guy that they made such a big deal out of. Remember Lieutenant uh, Colonel Alexander Vindman, the Ukrainian expert from the national uh, from the NSC, the national security um uh, team that he was that he was supposed to be their Ukrainian guy. I mean, his his transcript is is shameful. It's this guy saying, "Well, I didn't like what the president was doing with foreign policy, so I thought I better report this. I I was uncomfortable." And he told he had all these, you know, he was of Ukrainian background, and he had all these Ukrainian uh, pals, his other the in, on the other side, and he was telling them, "Don't comply with what the president is saying." And then when they question him about this, Schiff shuts them down, the panel shuts them down. It's unbelievable. So they're doing everything they can not to let you see what's going on. And now they're starting to understand. I think you can see it in their eyes. I really do think, I really do think that the whistleblower who we now know was this uh, deep state guy who's now blowing a whistle right this minute. (laughs) There he is. There We can't name him, but he is there. We can hear his whistle. I really think this guy set Adam Schiff up. I think he said, oh, I've got it. This is really a big deal. And now they're, you know, waist deep in the big muddy and they can't get out of it. They're beginning to realize that the public does not give a rats. Okay, and there is a hilarious, a hilarious uh, piece from um, from Newsbusters of on NBC, on Meet the Press, of the panel, who are obviously these left-wingers from the Washington Post and then from PBS, the journalistic panel, saying, uh, they're not getting this. We need to make it very, very simple, and it's got to be emotional. People have to be crying. It's hilarious. Listen to this. The one thing that will break through, I think, is if this can be dramatized so that our diplomats struggling against the president Mm -hmm. feel like soldiers in a battlefield and their commander abandoned them. And if that gets through, or if there's something corrupt that Rudy Giuliani was doing that we discover, I think that changes the stakes. It makes it a very different process. But based on what we heard just now, you know, it's political bickering, and that's the way the people will hear it. I will say that Democrats are very, um, they're very focused on how to tell this story this week. And I'm told from Democratic aides that they wanted Taylor to be there because he's a Vietnam vet. He's going to be able to tell this story in a simple way. And they wanted Marie Ivanovich there because I'm told she cried in her testimony. And they essentially want someone who's going to be emotional to say, I was a victim of the president trying to do this for his own political gain. Again, if there's a simple way to dramatize this, where, where these people sound like like soldiers fighting our fight for us and they got undercut, you know what they then do? it'll be different. 
<laughs> Dream on, pal. Dream on. We're all crying over Ukraine. Every day I wake up and I, I sob a little bit for Ukraine and the and the corruption there and for the president who just betrayed us all by asking that that corruption be investigated. Unbelievable. We will. So they wanted to get simple. We will get simple in just a minute. But first, I got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. Come to DailyWire.com and subscribe. The subscription is now one of the great, great deals in podcast land. I mean, it's 10 bucks a month. It's a lousy hundred bucks for the year. You get the, this great new app. It is a beautiful app. You get another kingdom early. You get to be in my mailbag where it's a little stuffy and scratchy, but you can ask questions that will solve all the problems of your life. And of course, you get this handcrafted. It was made by virgins. They cut it with their teeth. Uh, the leftist tears tumbler. Uh, I'm in LA. There are no virgins, but you know, I, they look like virgins. And uh, <laughs> you get all this stuff for just a lousy hundred bucks for the year. And if you get the all access uh, subscriber level, which is a new thing we have, uh, you get to uh, talk to us in these ask me anything uh, online things. And uh, I think if you pay a little more, you don't have to talk to us. So come over to dailywire.com and subscribe. So the entire narrative, they keep wanting to simplify the narrative of the impeachment, but the entire narrative is ridiculous. First, we have to say that Barack Obama bugged Trump Tower and sent spies into the Trump campaign, and that was great. That was great. But Donald Trump offhandedly asked Ukraine to investigate the corruption that included Joe Biden and his son. It may have included Joe Biden and his son. That's impeachable. So that's the first thing. Second of all, we know we have Biden on tape saying that he held up Ukraine. Uh, he held up aid to Ukraine until they fired a prosecutor. So we know that quid pro quo is not a problem. But this word quid pro quo keeps coming out of their mouth. Uh, Rand Paul was on with uh, Chuck Todd again, meet the press. And Todd is desperate, desperate to make this make some kind of sense. He hammered Rand Paul while bringing on the Democrats and asking them questions like, are the Republicans trying to uh, sabotage this project? But Rand Paul makes the simple point that this thing is not going to fly. I think the American people want fairness, and I don't think they're going to judge fairness when they're accusing President Trump of the same thing Joe Biden did, threatening the aid if some kind of corruption is not uh, investigated. And it seems like everybody, both parties, have been threatening aid if uh, some kind of investigation either doesn't happen or is ended. And so I think really what's going to happen is people are going to say, oh, they're impeaching President Trump for exactly the same thing that Joe Biden did. He threatened the aid if they didn't fire someone. And supposedly the president did. If if they didn't uh, investigate someone. So it sounds exactly like what Joe Biden did. And if they weren't going to impeach Joe Biden, they look like, you know, hypocrites in a way for going only after President Trump, but having not a word to say about what so Joe Biden did. That, so you think it's perfectly appropriate for the president of the United States to have sought this quid pro quo from Ukraine's government? Let's I say, think, I want to set aside, no, I, I, well, I want no. to set aside what Vice President Biden, I just want you to know, did the, is it appropriate for the president of the United States right. to have engaged in this? I think there's a real question whether you think uh, the president should specifically go after one person. So, and, and Trump is saying, ah, the thing was perfect. Don't even don't even see them that Republicans are don't, not quite sure how to play this exactly. But Trump just is just sticking with it. But the minute they keep using they keep using this word quid pro quo. And I'm thrilled that Chuck Todd has learned some Latin. But that that they keep talking about that. But there is one thing that Democrats are allowed to use quid pro quo on for American aid, and that's the Jews. It's okay when you do it to the Jews. Here is hilariously, hilariously, a montage from Grabian uh, of the Democrats promising, promising that they will attach 
quid pro quos to American aid as long as you're dealing with Jews. And my solution is to say to Israel is you got $3.8 billion every single year. All right, if you want military aid, you're going to have to fundamentally change your relationship to the people of Gaza. And so this is not just rejoining the Paris Climate Accords, which I will do right away. It's actually using every lever of foreign policy we have for more foreign aid to countries making a contingent on climate uh, action. You would, you would not necessarily want to leverage U.S. aid to Israel to push him to do that, is what you're saying? Well, you know, that would not be my first move. Uh, I'm not saying that would never happen. We need to make sure that any such cooperation and funding is going to things that are compatible with U.S. objectives and with U.S. law. We spend a few billion dollars on aid to Israel. Um, would you ever consider using that aid as leverage to get the Israeli government to act differently? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Question about Israel. Will you make American aid conditional on a freeze to settlement building? It is the official policy of the United States of America to support a two-state solution. And if Israel is moving in the opposite direction, then everything is on the table. <laughs> the whistleblower. That is the whistleblower revealing that, in fact, Democrats love a quid pro quo when it's happening to the Jews, as they used to say in uh, Rome. It's happening to the Jews. It is. It's just amazing to me. And Trump loves this stuff. I mean, the thing, the thing about Donald Trump. I know it's it, it's making him angry that he's been hampered like this and harried like this from pillar to post. But I think he also he loves the fight and he loves the fact that he he can feel. I think that they are just being humiliated. And everybody keeps saying, oh, they have to go through with this now. They have to go through with this impeachment. They're going to get to it before Thanksgiving. They want to push this vote. But I don't know about this. You know, maybe so, maybe so. You know, it's like I'm not trying to predict the future, but I just know that Mitch McConnell, cocaine Mitch, is in there in the Senate just waiting for them because if they think he's not going to call the witnesses about Joe Biden, if they think he's not going to hold up the the vote so that they all have to come back to the Senate when they should be out campaigning, if they think he's not going to use every weapon that is available to him to answer politics with politics, they don't know why they call him cocaine Mitch. So here's Trump. Here's Trump talking about the quid pro quo. And when, when Trump can do this, he's just hilarious. You talk quid pro quo. You fire the guy, you got a billion. You don't fire, you get nothing. Think of that one. Okay? That's called quid pro quo. Not here. That was said by Joe Biden to get rid of the prosecutor in Ukraine who was looking at his son who just got thrown out of the Navy, who was paid millions and millions of dollars even though he had absolutely no energy experience. In Louisiana, in Louisiana, you wouldn't have hired him and your energy companies. They would have paid to keep him the hell out, okay? He had no experience. Right? How old is your son? How old is that young man there? How old are you? How, how old? Yeah. Eight. Let me tell you, he's eight. He knows energy better than Joe Biden's son. (laughs) (laughs) Got (laughs) him! 
That's, I mean, he's talking to a little kid in the audience. He knows energy better than Joe Biden's son. So, you know, everybody, of course, is looking at the election that was held uh, last week and the fact that the Democrats made gains in Virginia. They took over Virginia, basically, so soon Virginia can look forward uh, to living like we do here in California and uh, enjoy it. Uh, make sure you have some wood uh, put aside for when the lights go off and uh, and make sure also you have a shovel for the homeless people who will be gathering in your cities. Um, so that's going to be great for Virginia. But Virginia, you know, has changed. The demographic has changed. And, it, and what's really interesting in Virginia, too, is that is that it's a double change. It's not just that, you know, uh, people like Ann Coulter who don't like uh, immigration and say immigration is going to turn the country blue. They're uh, talking about the fact that uh, Virginia, Virginia's immigrant population has skyrocketed from 5% to 12%. The Hispanic population has gone from 3% to 10%. The Asian community has grown from 2% to 7%. Uh, in 1990, 7% of people five years and older spoke a language other than English at home. In 2018, the number was 16%. And I'm sure that did have something to do with uh, the Democrat vote there. But it was also the fact that educate, there are more, Virginia has become uh, gentrified. It's become gentrified. The number of adults with a bachelor's degree or higher has shot up from 20% of the state to 38%. Uh, baccalaureates multiplied. They swap partisan affiliations. So people, as, as people get more of an education, of course, they become more leftist because our academies teach them leftism and they don't teach them gratitude, right? And it's, it's ordinary people who know how the world works, uh, who have gratitude, who understand that you get a dollar's uh, pay for a, dollar, a dollar's work. Those are the people who vote Republicans. So what we're actually seeing, too, is a big shift where the Republicans have now become the party of ordinary working class people and the Democrats have become the party of the elites. And all that talk about corporations ain't going to mean a damn thing because the corporations are where the elites work. The corporations are run by elites. The corporations are where all these people who get educations want to go. They're not going to let Elizabeth Warren do anything that's going to harm the corporations that are their lifeblood. And I would see the thing that I think is within a generation, these people who come over uh, from places that are essentially conservative in nature, that have uh, Christian backgrounds, like Catholic backgrounds, like the Hispanics, th those people could become Republicans as, as the blacks could become Republicans if Republicans go into those neighborhoods and talk to them about what they've done for them and what Donald Trump has done for them. And plus, uh, Henry Olson has noticed, he, Henry Olson is the best poll watcher of all, he has noticed uh, he says the immediate post-election story is focused on the continued Repub Republican prob problems in the suburbs. Uh, we're losing the suburbs. Uh, Trump is losing the suburbs as they become more elite, as they become really more citified is what's happening to them. Uh, but he says the big story is the fact that uh, President Trump's dominance has clearly moved many formerly Republican suburban voters into the Democratic camp, but it's also moved many former Democrats into the Republican camp and not just the pro-Trump camp, but there's turning them Republican. Consider Pennsylvania, where Democrats have rightfully crowed that they took control of county commissioners in suburban Philadelphia counties, but Republicans gained control of county commissions in more counties on Tuesday than did Democrats. So in other words, in the, in the rural areas, in the areas outside of these essentially metro, uh, greater metropolitan areas, Trump is spreading his popularity and the GOP popularity. So we're in the middle of a shift and it's not quite clear where it's going to, uh, where it's going to end up. 
I'm, I'm going to stop there and uh, just wish all of you a happy Veterans Day. Wish veterans a happy Veterans Day. I want to end with a final reflection. Uh, on Thursday, GLAAD, they're the gay activists, they published their annual Where We Are on TV report, which examines the number of LGBTQ characters on television. And as I've told you, there is no such thing as LGBTQ. Uh, that, that is a non-existent alphabet soup made for uh made for activism, and that's it. Uh, lesbians and gays don't like each other. None of them like transgenders. Bi- nobody actually believes that bisexual people uh, exist. And they're all, basically, they, have, they don't have a unified uh, point of view, but they, the activists use it as a unified point of view. In the opening paragraphs of the report, GLAAD President Sarah Kate Ellis states that television plays a crucial role in our culture when it comes to changing hearts and minds. And she says, she adds that according to a study, less than one quarter of Americans have a close friend or family member who is transgender, which means many Americans learn about trans people from what they see in television, movies, and news. Due to this statistic, Ellis says, the casting of trans actor Brian Michael Smith in Fox's 911 Lone Star is important. The report then cites an online survey of 2,037 adults conducted by Harris Poll suggesting that 20% of Americans age 18 to 34 identify as LGBTQ, and they demand that 20% of characters should be LGBTQ. First of all, I'm making copies. Move. I'm gay. In the workplace, being gay just has its perks. You're just simply a better person. <laughs> yes, we thought it was actual tape from the Daily Wire. And, um, you know, what always bothers me about this is conservatives and Republicans who know nothing about the culture, just absolutely tone deaf when it comes to the culture. They always argue things. Well, it's not 20 percent. There was only 5 percent of people are gay, which is probably closer to the truth. The, my question is, who the hell is glad to tell artists how they should make art, who their character should be? I'm an artist. I have a muse. I do what my muse tells me to do. Who the hell are they to tell my muse what the muse should think? You know, these people think that their their concerns should govern everything, including what pronouns I use. Who are they to tell me what to say? Who are they to tell me what to create? If we have a free world, a free world of free artists and free speech, then we have to trust that good ideas will rise. This way, all we have is oppression and the battle is already lost. Because believe me, once you put the hands of oppression into the government, once you put the power of oppression into the hands of the government, you too will be ultimately oppressed. All right, we got to end there. We will be back tomorrow. I'm Andrew Clavin. This is The Andrew Clavin Show. Oh, hooray, hoorah. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five-star review and also tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Wall Show, and The Michael Knowles Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Austin Stevens and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. And our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Assistant director, Pavel Wydowski. Edited by Adam Saevitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. And our production assistant is Nick Sheehan. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. If you prefer facts over feelings, aren't offended by the brutal truth, but you can still laugh at the insanity filling our national news cycle, well, tune in to The Ben Shapiro Show, where you'll get a whole lot of that and much more. See you there. Mm-hmm. 